The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Thanks for being here, everybody. We, uh, this is our third week at it, and as you know, when you're starting to try uh, to start a new group, it's hard to get going. So every time you're here, that's important, and so we really thank you for being here. Like Neil said, we've been on a series looking for the meaning of all sorts of life, aspects of life, because um, sometimes we just go through the motions without knowing what it's for or why. And so first week we did meaning a church, because in our day and age, church is irrelevant and boring and there's no meaning to it. So what's it for? We looked at that. Last week it was the trustworthiness of the Bible, so we asked some hard questions. Can we really trust this thing? And tonight, you know, it's the small, easy topic of the meaning of justice. And that's supposed to be a joke because that's impossible, right, in one, in one message. So we're going to have some thoughts about some of the meaning of justice. How's that for a disclaimer? Um, so when it comes to justice, there's a few things we can agree on as we start, right? Number one, uh, wouldn't you agree that there's plenty of injustice in the world, right? Okay, we agree on that. Evil happens all the time. The weak, the poor are mistreated, um, people abuse power constantly. The world is full of injustice. Everybody agrees on that. I've never been anybody that says, no, there's no evil or injustice anywhere. Um, we all agree. Second, don't you agree we should probably work to change things? Yeah. Uh, we should use the influence and abilities that we have to try to um, inspire justice. We should fight for the weak, right? We should fight for the poor. We should fight for the oppressed. We should stand up. We should make a difference. So we agree on those two things, a lot of unity. But guess what? After that, folks, it gets tricky. It gets tricky. Because here's the thing with justice. Let's do it like this, a case study. Uh, did you know that, generally speaking, women are not allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia? Did you know that? Okay. How many of you think that is totally just and fair and right? Can I get a... Oh. <laughs> How many of you think, that is wrong, man? That is so unjust. Anybody's like, that's wrong. Oh, come on. Yes. Okay, right, right. Some of you ladies were like, I don't care if I drive or not. That's, um, you would say that's wrong. All right, let me ask you this then. Why do you think it's wrong? Why is it wrong? Okay, it's not fair. And, and so what says what's fair or not? How do you know? Because you, you can't just say, well, I don't like it. And that's what we do a lot of times with justice. Oh, I don't like that, so it can't be right. No, no, wait a second. You always like what's right? Or what's right is defined by what you like? I don't think so, because if we make it about our own opinions, well, that's wrong, I don't like it. Well, guess what? There's a lot of people in Saudi Arabia who do like it. Why is what you like more important than what they like? Or why is our culture better than their culture? What's justice? The question I'm getting at is, what's the standard for justice? Because see, for justice to be real, and not just something we hope for or wish for, for it to be real, there has to be a universal standard that we all need to submit to, right? There has to be an actual right or wrong for us to go, yeah, that's right, that's wrong. And we have, we have to submit to that for justice to be real. Otherwise, it's just a battle of, well, I like it or I don't like it. Well, who wins on that, right? So the question is, what is the standard for justice? You can say, well, um, women have rights. How many of you agree with that? Women have rights. 
Great. How do you know? Science didn't tell you that. Science doesn't tell you that. Listen to what Stephen Hawking says. He's our favorite scientist, right? Everybody knows who he is. He says, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. Should I read that again for you? The human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. So, because he's an atheist, right? And so everything is just material, and it's all just evolved accidentally, which means that just like a mosquito's evolved accidentally, so have I. And just like there's chemical scum, I'm just evolved chemical scum. And so when his wife says, honey, I have rights, he says, you're chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet. Now, he wouldn't say that, right? So he'd get in trouble. And he actually, I don't even think he means it when it comes down to, do you lo- do, is there anybody you love? You love anybody? You don't love anybody. You're just chemical scum. It's just, just, it's just chemicals happening in your mind and in your heart. It makes you feel like it's love. It's not really love. If we're atheists. So science can tell you how things work. It can't tell you why. It can't tell you what the purpose is. And so for, for us to say women have rights, we have to reach back into some sort of big metaphysical standard that says, well, what's the standard? How do you know? So, okay, so we, we know in our hearts some things are right. People deserve to be treated in a certain way. It's right for a child to be loved. It's wrong for them to be sold into slavery. It's right for women to have the same rights as men and be able to drive. And we could say this is true for everybody all the time, any culture. Would you agree? Okay, but you still, you still have to say, how do I know what's the standard? You see how justice gets tricky? It gets tricky. What's the standard? Another way it gets tricky is this. What about the integrity of justice? So here's what I mean by that. It's easy to want justice when you see evil out there in the world or when someone does evil to you, right? You want them to get, you're hoping for karma, right, to come around. You want them to get paid out for what they've done. But, but you're holding them to a standard when you do that, right? So are you pissed off if somebody's a jerk to you? Sure you are. Sure you are. And you, you kind of hope for justice on them. All right, well, the next the, the question comes around. Have you ever been a jerk to anybody? Yeah. And we get into the question like, well, what's the standard for justice? Say you find that standard. How, how are you going to measure up to that standard? So if you want justice so badly out there in the world, then to have integrity means, well, you might deserve some justice too. That's a tricky question. So we're looking at the standard of justice, the integrity of justice. And how about this? What about the satisfaction of justice? Here's what I mean. Say for people like me, I've been unjust, I've been a jerk, I've been an ass. Many of you could be like, I have stories. Um, is, there any, is, is there any hope for you once you've been unjust? Or is that just the end? Are you done? You, you messed it up? You've been unjust? Uh, so what, is, there, is there ever forgiveness? Is there ever a second chance? Is there ever um, healing? Is there any room in the standard for people who broke it? How does this work, right? You see the question? So standard of justice, integrity, have I kept the standard? Satisfaction, is there any healing or fix? And the last one, the motivation for justice. The motivation. So let me insult you here just for a moment. Um, Scholars, writers, sociologists say that your generation, and I'm I'm too old to be in your generation, um, your generation cares a lot about justice, but you're not committed or self-sacrificial enough to actually do anything about it. (laughs) Okay, Soci- I'm not making, sociologists say we care a lot about community, but you're not, you're not selfless enough to actually invest in community. 
Because what, what does justice take to really change a system, to really help the poor? What does it take? Can you just say, oh, it'd be, people should help the poor? Yay for you. What does it mean to help the poor? Like our church, one of the things we're involved with is we have a partner church in Haiti that helps um, orphans that were left alone from the earthquake there a couple of years ago. What does it mean to help them? You know, having been there and visit, it's complicated, it's hard, and it takes a long sacrificial effort over time to see any difference. And so the real question with this is, I don't mean to insult you, I'm insulting myself too, but the real question with this is, where can you find the motivation to actually be so selfless that you become sacrificial and generous in order to consistently work for justice for your whole life? Isn't that a huge question? Because everybody says, oh yeah, we want to work for justice. Who's actually doing it? Just a small number of those people. So those are the uh, simple, easy questions I'm raising for you tonight. Standard of justice. What do we do about integrity when it comes to justice? What do we do about satisfaction for those who've committed injustice like me? And what about the motivation to actually keep us going to fight for justice, all right? That's what I want to think with you about. And to do that, I'm just going to tell you a little story. This story is from the Gospel of Luke. Luke is a a carefully researched eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. It was written by 60 AD or so. Uh, Gospel means good news, so Luke is saying, man, this is it right here. This is what your heart's been looking for, good news in Jesus It's good news for those who care about justice, and it's also good news for those who know they haven't done justice themselves, like me. So let's read this text from Luke 19. I'll read it for you. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector, and he was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So we'll start there. Scene one here, you've got this guy named Zacchaeus, and he is a huge perpetuator of injustice. Uh, What's his job? Did you see it? Chief tax collector, okay? Now, all of us were down on taxes anyway. Anybody a little pissed after uh, your tax return this spring? No, you're happy. Okay, good for you. Um, Well, Zacchaeus, it's not just just taxes that would be fair, you know, to make a government one. Here's the way it worked in Rome. You paid to buy, the, to buy the right to be a tax collector. And then you owed Rome a certain amount of money that you had to collect. And then anything you could collect over and above that, you got to keep. So you see any room for injustice coming here? They would tax you on the number of wheels on your cart. They would tax you on your animals. They would, they, they, would, they would tax you on everything. And then he could send in that minimum bottom line rate to Rome. And everything he made over that, he gets to keep it. Injustice. Not only that, he was the chief tax collector. So he's like a few levels up in the, in the mafia. He's making money off what the other tax collectors are making money off the people. He's a huge perpetuator of Injustice, it's not right, it's not fair for him to do that to people and take all their hard-earned. And what do we see about him? He's a chief tax collector and he's also rich. He's filthy rich from abusing other people. That's scene one in our story. There he is, there's, there's our character. And this is, this is where 
I'll bring up the question of the standard of justice. How many of you think it's wrong for Zacchaeus to extort people like that? You're like, that's, that's wrong, okay? It's unjust. Again, how do you know? Why is it wrong? You've heard of Aristotle? Aristotle actually said some men are made to be slaves because they're not smart or capable. How's that sound? Some men made to be slaves because they're stupid, so the smart people can use them. They're not capable. They should be slaves. Is that just or unjust? Why is it unjust? Aristotle was a famous philosopher, came up with incredible ideas about the world. Why is it wrong? You're going to have to appeal to a higher standard. You can't just say, well, I don't like it. What's the standard? Can I quote Martin Luther King Jr.? You've heard of him, right? (laughs) Kind of a big character when it comes to justice. Listen to what he said. It's kind of a longer quote, but I want you to see the point. Listen to what MLK said. He's talking about America, and he said, the founding fathers were really influenced by the Bible. The concept of the imago dei, as it is expressed in Latin, the image of God, is the idea that all people have something within them that God injected. Every man, we could say every person, has a capacity to have fellowship with God. And this gives him a uniqueness, it gives him a worth, it gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from treble white to a base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. That's why we must, that's why we must fight segregation with all our nonviolent might. Where did Martin Luther King appeal to for a standard of justice? God and the scriptures in the Bible. He knew that was his only hope. We have to have a higher standard. What is it? Where can we find justice? Well, listen, the higher standard has to come from God. It has to. Without God, there's really no such thing as justice. It's just, it's just opinion and strength and who might equals right. God has to give us the standard of justice. And, and Martin Luther King, he's, he's constantly quoting the Bible because the Bible is the most pro-justice book in the history of the world. Let me read to you from Jeremiah 22, verse 3, just one idea. Thus says the Lord, the prophet said to Israel, do what? Justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Who's the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow? Those are the people who are different and the people who are powerless. Injustice happens from race to race, doesn't it? Huge injustice with racism. The Bible here says to Israel, when, when the, the sojourner, or what did he call him, the, the resident alien, that's somebody from another group, another place, when they're here in your land, you treat them just like you would treat an Israel. You treat them fairly. You can't treat them differently based on their race or their nationality. Not only look at the, uh, the widow, the fatherless. It's, it's true in today's world, but especially in ancient culture, if, if your husband or your father was dead, you're screwed. There's no, there's no welfare for you. There's no protections for you. You're going to be abused. You're going to be marginalized. But God here through the prophet says, you treat the weak fairly. You treat them well. You do justice. Or how about what Jesus said? Here's the picture of justice right here. What did he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Are you supposed to love yourself? Sure, to an extent, right? Love yourself. What do you do when you're hungry? You feed yourself. What do you do when you're uncomfortable? You work to change it. What are you doing when you think about your future? You're trying to better it. What do you hope for in your life? You got dreams, you got goals. That's good. Now you take that and you apply that to other people. And you treat them like you want to be treated. Love your neighbor. If we did that, justice would happen. We're seeing the standard right here. It's God who said every single human being is made in his image. No matter their race, no matter how much money they have, no matter how strong they are, no matter their situation, they're made in the image of God and they have equal value. So if you were going to ask me, hey Matt, why do you think women should be able to drive in Saudi Arabia? I would appeal to the standard that women are made in the image of God the same way men are. And so they should have the same rights. I have a standard to appeal to. Who said it? God said it. And I have to submit to it, so does everybody else. I don't care what culture you're in. Male and female are equal in value. They've been made in the image of God. And it's not just right because I like it or because I said it. It's because God said it. He made it. That's the standard of justice. So what's the standard? It's God. It's got to be. And his word. You won't find higher justice anywhere in the world than in the Bible. But here's where we also have to think about the integrity of justice. This is where it gets uncomfortable. Um, God gives us his law to tell us what justice looks like. So you heard of the Ten Commandments? What's one of those? Uh, don't, don't murder. Good. Don't murder. So people shouldn't murder. Jesus said, I tell you, don't just murder, but don't just... Um, the, the seed of murder, you've got you to bring it all the way down into your heart. So the seed of murder is when you're so pissed at somebody, you kind of just wish they were dead and out of your life. And it comes out and you're saying something like, you saw, you know, beep, 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 beep. Okay, you ever had one of those tirades? That was the seed of murder in your heart. Okay, fully grown, if you let that grow and it got worse and worse and worse and you didn't hold back, you didn't stop it, what's coming? The violence, and then what's coming? It's murder, okay? You, you didn't commit murder, but you, just, you had the seed of the murder tree, right, in your heart. Or how about don't lie? How many of you have ever lied? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, now you just lied. How many times have you lied? Cabillions of times. I can't count how many times I've lied. What does that make you? I'm a liar. You ever mistreated your neighbor? You ever not loved your neighbor? So when it comes to justice, the Bible talks about sins of omission. So omission, right, is good stuff you were supposed to do that you didn't. This is, this is the worst part. Usually we think of sins as like bad stuff you're not supposed to do. Just don't do bad stuff. Um, here's a stereotype for you. Husbands tend to think of love. Dudes tend to think of love as I didn't do bad stuff. Right? This will give you that variety. Why are you mad? I didn't do anything. And she's like, that's exactly why I'm mad. He's like, I didn't, I didn't scream at you. I didn't hit you. That, I, that's not what I'm talking about, right? We think it's love if we didn't do wrong. But the Bible doesn't just tell you, God's standard doesn't just tell you not to do wrong. It tells you to do right. Oh, crap. So the sins of omission are there's good things out there I should have done and I didn't. You ever walked by somebody you could have helped but you didn't want to? You could have served, but you didn't want to. I'm screwed on that standard already. I'm done. 
Not to mention the sins of commission. That's the bad stuff you're not supposed to do. You ever done injustice to somebody? Yeah, me too. Me too. You ever lo- have you ever loved your neighbor as yourself? And I'm like, I can think of twice, you know? Have you ever not? A billion times. This is when we hit the integrity of justice. If God's standard is justice, and he gives us his perfect law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, what's your grade? Don't lie, what's your grade? Don't commit murder, what's your grade? Don't commit adultery, what's your grade? Don't steal, what's your grade? My grade is, like, the house is on fire. F. Do you see the problem? This is where Zacchaeus is at in this story. Imagine how he feels as Jesus is coming down the street. Everybody knows who Jesus is. Jesus is, everybody thinks he's the Messiah. That's God's promised king who's going to bring justice. And so the Messiah is walking down the street, and you're the, what's his job again? You're the chief tax collector. So think about this. For Zacchaeus, he's a Jew, right? And he works for who? Rome. So he's betrayed his whole family. His family hates him. He's betrayed his nation. His nation hates him. How does his neighborhood feel about him? They hate him. He would be considered unclean. He's not allowed to go to church. He's not allowed to go to the meetings. We don't want you. We hate you. We'll give you our money, but we hate you. And now Jesus, the Messiah, is walking down the street. What does Zacchaeus think Jesus will think about Zacchaeus? He may send me to hell right now. (laughs) Right? He may curse me out right now. He may tell me how bad I am right now. Let's read what happens. Look at verse 3. Am I doing this right? Yep. So, verse 4, Zacchaeus ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. For Jesus was about to pass that way. He's curious. He's drawn to Jesus. He just wants to see what he's like. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I have to stay at your house today. If you can imagine you're Zacchaeus, and you can imagine Jesus being there, and he looks up at you, and he knows your name, and he's telling you he's coming over for dinner, how do you feel? This isn't supposed to be. I'm bad. You're good. You're supposed to hate me. You're supposed to judge me. You're supposed to send me out. You want to come over for dinner? This is where we're talking about the satisfaction of justice. Here we have the picture of the most unjust person you could find, right? The tax collector. And Jesus, the most pure, holy, perfect person. And what's he want to do for Zacchaeus? Let's have dinner. Are you shocked? You should be totally shocked. Especially in that culture, if you were going to eat dinner with somebody, there's this idea called table fellowship. So that means we're friends. That means we have a loyalty, a bond. Because we're eating dinner together. I mean, I'm eating dinner at your house. That means we have a connection. We're friends. And so Jesus is willing to say to Zacchaeus, the tax collector, I want to be your friend. Unbelievable. Here we have something better than justice, guys. It's called grace. You heard of that word? Grace. Grace just means undeserved love. And the key word there is undeserved. You know what undeserved means? It means you don't deserve it. Grace means it's love you don't deserve that you get anyway. 
You see, justice alone is brutal, right? When we face the real standard, we all fall. We're lost. But grace is undeserved love. And here we see the satisfaction of justice in that. Look at Zacchaeus' response to Jesus, verse 6. He hurried and came down and received him. What? You want to come to my house? Man, come on. Look what Jesus says about him in verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house since he's a son of Abraham. That means he's, he's back. He's back in the people. 4, verse 10. What did Jesus come to do? The Son of Man came to do two things. Number one, what? Seek. Number two, save. Save the what? The lost. Did Jesus come for the good people? How come? Because there aren't any. That's right. Really, there aren't any. And you, how can you say that? What's your standard? What's your standard? If your standard is better than Hitler, that's the standard a lot of people want to use for themselves. Well, I never caused genocide. Started a war. I'm a good person. It's great. It's not the standard. The standard is God's perfect law. If his law is the standard, then who's good? Nobody. But Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He's looking for you. He came looking for you. You think, it's too late for me. I messed it up too bad. He came looking for you, and he came not only to look for you, he came to find you and save you. Now, let me ask you a hard question. If God is the judge of the earth, and you'd have to believe that he is, right? How can he forgive sinners like me? How can this work? Say you went to a courtroom, and... um, There's the worst criminal you can imagine in that room. He's raped, murdered, pillaged, everything else. And the judge says, you know what? I like this guy. I'm just going to forgive it. If you're the victim's mom or dad, how do you feel about that? No, 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 no. Right? No, 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 no. Say we had Osama bin Laden before he got shot. Say he was in the courtroom and, and he was judged by the court of the earth. What if the judge says, ah, we forgive him. September 11th, no big deal. We forgive him. We're gracious. What would you say? Say, that's unjust. That's not just. That's not right. Okay, but this is what we're hoping God will do for us. How can God look at you? And <laughs> the scary thing about God is he's looking at your motives. He's looking about your words. He's looking at your thoughts. Okay, if my thoughts played on this overhead right here, you'd all hate me, right? I'd go to jail. Wouldn't you? If every word I ever spoke came over these speakers, I'd have to go run and hide. Wouldn't you? And if God is the judge and he sees me perfectly and he's going to judge my life, how can I be like, I hope he forgives me? Because in any human court, that wouldn't work. He's got to bring justice. And here's the answer. This is the satisfaction of justice. It's a technical text, but I've got to show you. Romans 3. The, the Apostle Paul writes this. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Righteousness means that's the standard of justice. Okay? And now it's manifested. That means we're seeing it apart from the law. The law is the commands. Don't lie. Don't, don't kill. Don't steal. Apart from the commands... We see righteousness now. Verse 22, what is it? The righteousness of God through, through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for who? All who believe. Here's what's crazy. Even though you've broken every command, so have I. We're on equal standing there. God will count it like you always obeyed him every time. If you do one thing, what is it? 
if you trust in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus. How does that work? Well, let me tell you, verse 23. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so God has a standard. We sinned. It's like a huge chasm, okay? Maybe, maybe I could jump 20 feet, but the chasm's like a mile. Maybe you jumped four feet. Maybe you jumped 30 feet, whatever. However good you jumped, you fell in. Jesus is the only one who can bridge that chasm. He's the one who lived a perfect life. And so riding his back, this is how it works. Verse 23, all sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified. So that's made like you always did it right. Think about that. Made like you never did any injustice. You always did the right thing. Verse 24, you're justified by what? His grace. What is that again? Undeserved love as a gift. What do you like about gifts? They're free. God will count it like you never once sinned, like you always did it right for free through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation. See, that's why I get paid the big bucks because I teach you these words like propitiation. Okay? Just, just do this. It's a substitute. It's a substitute. Here's how, remember I asked you the question, how can God be a just judge and forgive me and you? Here's how. The substitution. See, God never, ever sweeps a sin under the rug. He's holy, he's just, he's perfect. Justice will be done for every single evil deed. But, For all who trust in Jesus, Jesus went to the cross as your substitute, and he took upon himself the justice that you and I deserve for our rebellion. He paid the penalty I deserve. He paid the penalty you deserve. And so that's how it says in verse 26... This was to show God's righteousness so that he might be just. See, he's still just because he's punishing sin. He's not sweeping any of them under the carpet. And the justifier, that means he's making you like you never did anything wrong, of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the satisfaction of justice. Jesus took your place. Jesus took your place. This is how it works. Imagine standing before God and there's the book of your life and God opened it up and there's every thought, word, and deed, everything you ever did. According to his standard, I know how it's going for me, guilty. But for all who trust in Jesus, it works kind of like this. Jesus says, wrong book. He moves your book out of the way and he takes his book and puts it on there. And it's in your place and it's opened up and we see everything Jesus thought, everything he did, all his motives, all his obedience. And what does the Father say to that? Perfect. And Jesus says, that's his book. That's her book. They trusted in me. I paid the price. I made them right. The satisfaction of justice. We can see the standard could be broken by it, and we can be saved by the only one who kept the standard, the Lord Jesus. That's what happened to Zacchaeus when Jesus came over to his house. That's what Jesus was doing for Zacchaeus. Don't you love that Jesus comes to save tax collectors? We think churches for people people out there think church is for good people. That's just stupid. 
stupid. People out there think church people ha- think they have it all together. Maybe that happens. But for anybody who goes, goes to this church, can we just admit right now to our friends, we don't have it all together. Never had it all together. I'm a mess. That's why I need Jesus. I'm a mess. And the beautiful thing is Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So you might think, I'm too bad for him. No, you're not. Nobody is because of the cross. You can have this freely as a gift, total forgiveness, made as if you never sinned through Christ. Now the motivation for justice. Look at verse 7. So when everybody sees Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house, they're all pissed off. When they saw it, they grumbled. Ah, he went to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And can you see why they're pissed off? Again, how do they feel about Zacchaeus? He's been extorting all their money. They hate him. And now Jesus, who maybe is the Messiah, is going to his house for dinner? You can't do that? Interesting. What do they think about Zacchaeus? They think he's bad. What do they think about themselves when they're mad Jesus went to his house? They're good. I'm no tax collector. And Jesus might say to him, that's not the standard. They're not willing to give grace to Zacchaeus because they're not aware of how much grace they need. But look what happens to Zacchaeus. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Look who's doing justice all of a sudden. First of all, there's restorative justice. So he said, if I've harmed anybody, what's he going to go back and do? He's going to replace it four times over. Is that a sacrifice for him? You bet it is. Not only that, what's he going to do with half of his wealth after that? I'm going to sell it. And I'm going to give it to the poor. Do you see the transformation that happened in this man? Because of the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. He went from the most unjust person in the city to the most sacrificial advocate for justice in the city. He is motivated, deeply motivated to love his neighbor. What possibly could change a person like this? The only answer is it's the grace of Jesus. Undeserved love. Zacchaeus saw what he was. He saw he'd broken the standard. And when Jesus loved him anyway... It changed Zacchaeus' life. And he said, because I, his heart is saying, because I have everything I need in Jesus, I've got everything I need, man, I don't need to abuse people, manipulate people, use people anymore, because I've got what I need in Jesus. I'm forgiven, I'm made right, I'm adopted. Now I can pour myself out in love for others. But this is magic right here. Because you're seeing in the gospel, it's what we call the gospel, the, the person and the work of Jesus, you're seeing the answer to justice. There's the standard that comes from God. There's also the satisfaction of justice for those who've broken the standard. And there's a new motivation based on the grace of God to sacrificially work for justice. Isn't that amazing? So I can't tell you everything about the meaning of justice. I don't even think I know it myself. But I can show you the heart of justice. 
And that is to see Jesus satisfying God's standard of justice for you by his grace, undeserved love. And then you trusting that and responding then to his grace, being totally forgiven, totally made right with him, responding to his grace by then giving yourself to love and work for justice for others. So two application points. What's the first thing? Well, if you haven't trusted yourself to Jesus, I think you should. Be like Zacchaeus. Jesus is looking you in the eye and saying, I want to come to your house. Receive him joyfully. Say, yes, sir, I want in. Receive that undeserved love. He's pouring it out. He's giving it to you. He took the cross in your place. And then the second thing, well, how do I work for justice? There's a lot of ways to do it. But I'd like for you to consider coming to our human trafficking awareness event. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Human trafficking awareness event. Next week, slavery and human trafficking is happening all over our county, all over our city. And there's things we can do about it. The first thing is to to, uh, grow an awareness. So if you're interested, come check it out. It's next Saturday, 6 o'clock. For now, listen, I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to give you some space to respond. What that means is... You can just sit there in silence. You can think about the message. Uh, you could pray. You can chat with your neighbor about it if you want to. Um, just so- soak it in a little bit, who Jesus is and what he's done. Also, we're going to offer the Lord's Supper over here. Elder Ed's going to be uh, officiating, just giving that out. You can come get it whenever you want. The bread represents Jesus' body broken for you. The juice represents Jesus' blood shed for you and what he did for you on the cross. So when you eat it, you're saying, I believe it. This, this identifies me. This is who I am. So if you trust Jesus, come get that on your own time whenever you want. But I'm give you that space, and we'll, then we'll close with some songs. Basically, we're just praising Jesus for what he's done for us, all right? So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace for sinners like me. Thank you so much for what Jesus has done to make us right in your sight. Lord, uh, that might be a new message for some of us. We just pray you'd help us to see our own lives, see your standards, see what you've done, and that you'd push us, you'd call us, you'd draw us into to trust in you and following you. God, thank you so much for everybody here. Help us to respond to your love, your grace, by working for justice, working for love for others. Uh, we're so thankful to be here. I'm so thankful for everybody here tonight. Thank you that we can be here. Pray that you bless the rest of our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.